Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, it's all about revenge for a man who was jealous that his ex-girlfriend had moved on and she was now dating a woman. Police say that he directed a hit on the new girlfriend, had her killed while she was stopped at a traffic light. But first, there's a huge break in the Delphi murder investigation more than five years after two Indiana teens were killed. Police have arrested a man and charged him with their murders. The suspect living among them all these years, working at the local pharmacy in this small town. But if police believe they have the killer, why are they asking the public for more help? We are recording this on Wednesday, November 2nd of 2022. Our guest today is Luis Bolaños, a former law enforcement investigator, homicide detective, the founder and the head of Get Bit Investigations, a man who works tirelessly to help um, advocate for survivors and survivors' rights, and a personal friend of mine and the show, Lewis, welcome. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for inviting me back, especially with these two stories. Um, some of these really pull out the heartstrings. I'm glad to see there's closure on these, but uh, I'm looking forward to discussing this with you because I think there's been some great work done on both of these stories. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's also, there's a lot of information missing, especially on the Delphi case, because we know so little, which I think is interesting. So let's, you know, really, let's get right to it. Uh, our first case, many of you are familiar with. Uh, we've covered it here on the podcast. We even did a special that we worked on with HLN. They've done a marvelous job of covering this. And in fact, um, a lot of the HLN team is there on the ground right now, including one of the producers, Barbara McDonald, who we've had here. Um, she's been able to gather some incredible information. Uh, we tried to get her on the show, but of course, they're super busy covering all the latest developments. So we're talking about uh, the what was until this week, the unsolved murders of... Two young girls, two teens in Indiana. I, Lewis, I think the reason everyone felt this so strongly, it's because uh, so many of us can relate to dropping off your girls because they're going to go take a walk. And then you tell them, okay, we're going to meet here at a certain time. And then when they don't show up, panic sets in. 
Right. I think that's a normal reaction for any any parent, any any adult worried about a child who doesn't show up where they're supposed to be. Happens more than we than we know, right? That feeling of what can I do? What you just your mind goes to the darkest places sometimes. Um, it's just horrible. Just horrible that this was really. <laughs> It seemed a crime of opportunity. There's no way this guy could have known that those two girls are going to be there at that time. He saw an opportunity and he took it. I'm going to argue, based on a few other things, that there's always the possibility, since we know nothing. True. Usually it is a crime of opportunity. I'm just wondering what else is going on there, because some very disturbing information has come out about other people not charged with murder, but somehow associated with this investigation, which always makes me very nervous. So we're talking about 13-year-old Abigail, Abby Williams, and 14-year-old Liberty Libby German. Abby and Libby were found murdered on Valentine's Day of 2017. Despite the massive search for clues and their killer, the amazing thing is, you know, they had re- they had released some sketches, two sketches, which were a little different and police had answers for. There was a photo, there was video, there was audio, which one of the girls captured surreptitiously as this crime was about to be committed. Police released this information. And it's Interesting to me, Lewis, that with all these little pieces, which half the time you don't have, and remember, because of the park where they were, there really weren't surveillance cameras there. So the fact that the girls were able to be so smart about it and capture this this video and this audio, yet it still took five years to get to this point. Oh, there's just so many questions in this, but I, you know, that for that young lady to have the wherewithal, the mindset, something's wrong here. I feel uncomfortable. Let me get right to her phone, hit that button in recording. And ultimately that might be one of the biggest uh, uh, nails in the coffin here of convicting this guy. Um, I will see what happens. Innocent until proven guilty, as they mentioned over and over and over in the press conference. Uh, but to have that wherewithal, she knew something was wrong uh, and her, decision that day may be what led to this arrest. Mm-hmm. It may may have taken a long time to get there. And investigators and the sheriff and, and the prosecutor, they kept saying over and over again, because this arrest was made last week, and this Monday, Monday of this week, they had a big news conference. Didn't say a lot, but one thing that they said over and over again, this is a complicated case. And I think that's the nugget I'm holding on to. There's far more to this than um, what we think. And remember, authorities have never revealed to us the manner of death or anything like that. Um, It has been reported and HLN has reported that it appeared that the girls' bodies may have been staged at the murder site. But again, there's so little that we know. There's also been some reporting that possibly an item of clothing was missing that they knew that the girls had, but we don't know how they were killed. Right, right. And that affidavit that they have sealed will will answer many of those questions, but it's sealed for a reason. And to your point earlier, Doug Carter, the the Indiana State Police Superintendent, he said repeatedly over and over, please keep those... I'll be aware of those hotlines. The emails are still open. Please continue sending in the information. He did everything but close the door on additional suspects. And to your point earlier, 
How often have we seen it in cases we've covered on this program? How often in these smaller communities have we seen on this program cases we've covered? Have there been just a, so many people who were registered offenders or they had the same type of criminal mindset and had the unique tweaks that were very bizarre, but they were so close geographically to each other. And we discussed how could they have those tweaks and have that mindset and be registered or not and not know each other. Do they cross paths? Is there more to this? And I think that's one of the reasons that this, uh, the law enforcement agency, uh, Doug Carter, wanted to make sure we understood we still needed information to come in. Uh, Delphi is, uh, I think, 2,900 uh, population. The yeah. county, right, it's only 20,000, right? As they said early on, right, a couple of years ago, that they thought this person was hiding in plain sight. And there's something that made them think that. Yeah, you always assume that at first, but that was a much stronger statement at, at that point. They had something that made them believe that this person was local and known. Um, and, of course, now we know it's spot on, spot on information. Yeah, and it's, of course, very disturbing to have that sense of someone living among us. But again, the person is charged, presumed innocent. And again, in the absence of the details of what could possibly connect this man to the murders, you know, we just, we have no idea. We just, right, right now, don't don't have any idea. It's sometimes right. obviously helpful to us, but there's a reason. I also think that there's a reason that they're asking for more information. There's there's something there's something going on here, and it, it's sticking to me right there. I, I don't know what bothers me. So last week, 50-year-old Richard Allen was arrested and charged with Abby and Libby's murders. Richard Allen, who lives in this tiny community, lives there with his wife, works at the local CVS, has pleaded not guilty to the charges and is being held without bond. Okay, so here's the background on that day um, when Abby and Libby were dropped off and then how the investigation moves from there because that's when we're going to bring in some of the other people who have been questioned. One man who is currently charged with child pornography. A man who is charged with pretending to be a much better looking younger man than he is, catfishing young girls and manipulating them to send in naked photos of themselves. This is a man who was communicating with Libby. And we're gonna get to that. And it is, he's not charged in the murder, but boy, if he was communicating with Libby on the day she disappeared or the day before, how can this not be relevant? Right, right. It has to be investigated. And of course, if it's resonating with us, it's resonating with law enforcement. That, and I'm sure that's going to come out. And there may be a reference to that in this affidavit once it's unsealed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the question everyone else is asking, okay, what does um, accused pedophile have to do, if anything, with newly accused killer Richard Allen. Maybe nothing. I have no idea, but I don't like it. Yeah, you mentioned he worked at CVS. Richard Allen worked at CVS. And I, at one point, because I read this in some of the research, but he actually would process photographs for the family with no, no charge, not charge at all. And to me, uh, it, it's kind of creepy that he would do that 
course, hiding in plain sight, trying to appear like he's the nice guy and one of the caring community members. But I have to ask, how long has he been watching those photographs? He has access to their family photos. Um, and who else? That that Because that's just something does not resonate with that. And I, I just seem I wonder if he started maybe he started looking at her pictures earlier. If this was more of an infatuation prior to this day and he saw her and recognized her. Um, he knew the family, obviously, but yeah, it, it was reported by um, HLN's Barbara McDonald uh, by the family that the aunt went in to print the photos for the funeral for the funeral of these mm. girls, and that he helped her, Richard Allen, because he worked at the CVS, helped her print them and said there'll be no charge. Well, that was the decent thing to do, no matter what, right? Under those circumstances, I would hope in a small community, but boy. To now find out that Mr. You Thought was Mr. Nice Guy over at the CBS printing your funeral photos, is now the man charged with killing these girls? Oof. So back to the day that Libby and Abby disappeared. So these two best friends are dropped off near the Mono High Bridge in Deer Creek on February 13th of 2017, around 1 p.m. They're going to go for a hike. This is a very popular spot. It's also really treacherous. This is one of those wooden kind of like suspension bridges. Um, it's been described as the kind of thing. It's like, ooh, it's not the easiest thing to walk on. I would never want to walk on something like this. But if you're agile and you're young... <laughs> It's exciting and interesting, and it's it's an attraction in the area. During the hike, Liberty posted a photo on Snapchat of Abigail walking on the bridge alone. So that's always helpful, right? Because it gives you a time, right. a location, a date, proof of life. Right, right. Tracking, right. Yeah, all of those things. All the above, right. So the girls had made plans to be picked up later that afternoon, and Libby and Abby never arrived at the pickup location. So at 5.30, the girls are declared missing. Every parent's heart stops when a moment like this happens. It's the worst feeling in the world. So there's a massive search, canines, dive teams, everything you can imagine. And I'm sure the sheriff feels badly now, but at the time, the sheriff said, I don't think that they're in danger. They were presumed lost. I have to take a sip of water because that just upsets me. And I, I know he probably didn't mean anything bad by it, but boy, does that hurt. No, if he if he could, I'm sure he wishes he could take that statement back. Um, but that's that's something you just typically don't say because you don't know. You, you don't, don't know. You don't close any avenue. You don't close any doors. You continue down every possible path. Why well, uh, give the false hope? Yeah. I realize you want, you know, Many times when children, young people disappear, they generally are found. There's usually an explanation. Usually, especially in a small town like this, the last thing anyone would consider is a double hom double homicide. Right. Did you happen to take, you know, I have to ask it. I looked at the picture that blew up of the man walking on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Compared that picture to the mugshot photo of, of our suspect. Richard uh, Allen. Mr. Allen, Mr. Richard Allen. I look in that photo and I'm thinking, and, and you know, it's a shot from head to toe, the way he's dressed, um, his face. I can't look at that photo and say that's not him. But when I look at the face and the features, um, I'm thinking, you know, small town, small community, like we've already covered, but somebody had to recognize that profile, that gait, 
it, to me, that picture was that good. Maybe not for 100, uh, posit- 100% positive ID, but that photo was good enough that if you knew him, this was a neighbor or someone you dealt with on a daily basis, and most likely most people in that area did, that someone was able to say, I think that's so-and-so. It was that good of a photo. It's interesting because I looked at that photo and I thought to myself, the clothes probably would have been the most telling. Like you would know if someone, if you were close to them, owned these clothes in particular. But then I also thought he looks like every guy in the Midwest when it's cold and bundled up. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, But, you know, is that a jacket that he wears every day? Again, the crime of opportunity or did he plan, did he alter his clothing? Who knows? Right. But I, I, I don't know if the, you better believe they were looking for similar clothing when they served a search warrant at this, at this place. And maybe they found some. Maybe that's in there. Lewis, I, I don't know if this has any bearing at all. But in one of the photos I saw, I believe it was the Daily Mail. They had a lot of photos of Richard Allen and one of the photos in the background. So I don't know if it's his office or at CVS or at home. But way, way, way in the background is one of the sketches of the suspect. Right. I saw that. I think I, I think that was uh, one of the news organizations claimed Daily Mail. Yes. Claimed that it was uh, at a local bar and where he would go to and, and, and visit on a regular basis. And that picture was taken while he's at the bar with that in the background. Um, I, it's just creepy. Just another creepy thing. But he's just trying to blend in in plain sight and talking to the bartender about this case. Of course, what else are they going to be talking about that town? This has to be the number one topic there. Of course, natural. Um, but to blend in, you know, that poor family, that, you know, those poor girls, which he was right there having those conversations. Yep. He and his wife going out to dinner frequently, well known. Again, there's only one pharmacy in the entire town. It's this CVS. So he's there. People know who he is in that small of a town. One of the newspapers actually described him as being fairly unremarkable, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Fairly unremarkable. And those are the ones you have to watch out for. (laughs) Right. The ones that just blend in. But again, innocent until proven guilty. We have no idea. We just, but we do know, obviously, they've been working on this case for five years. And I don't think that they would have pulled the trigger like this and made an arrest unless they had some strong evidence. And by the way, they're pushing to take this thing to trial so fast. The pre-trial is set for something like January, wow. and the trial itself, I think, is set for March. That's record speed in getting this man to trial. I agree. March 20th, 2023. Really? This is going to happen on this day? It Most likely it won't, but yeah, that, uh, that's part of their tactics. I, I, I don't know. And look, they made the arrest last week. They may have had enough to make the arrest earlier, but making the arrest and making an arrest on someone this dangerous, potentially dangerous, allegedly, it's, it's a tactical decision because if you're looking at potentially other suspects, others involved, trying in the middle of gaining other evidence, you don't want to destroy your case. So there's a very good chance they had him under observation for a long time before they made this arrest um, mm-hmm. to, to time it perfectly. Yeah. So let's go back again to the day that the girls were found. By noon the following day on February 14th, Valentine's Day, their bodies were discovered in a wooded area about half a mile from they were from where they were dropped off. So not really that far, but when you see rural areas like this, you can understand why it's so hard and then losing sunlight, why it can be so hard to find um, 
a missing person or someone who's been murdered. So just afternoon, the searchers discovered their bodies right along the Delphi Historic Trail. So this is going to be interesting where they were found and also who owns the property where they were found. They found Libby's cell phone, which is very interesting. And even if they hadn't found the cell phone, they would have found this evidence digitally anyway. Now, they found the video of the man all bundled up who we've described. We've put up his photos for those of you who are watching, those of you who are listening. And as we've said, this bridge is not easy to walk on. So it's a pretty nice long shot of the guy. As part of the recording, there is audio to this. Now, we are told that it's about 43 seconds long, but only a very tiny little clip has been released because authorities believe, well, not only is it the preservation of evidence, but it's extremely disturbing what is heard and seen. So they authorities released these clips in two different batches. The first one was, all you heard was, down the hill. And then... A little while later, authorities release the tape. It's enhanced this time with now it says girls down the hill. And the interpretation was that they were being told, directed, down the hill, girls, girls down the hill. Right. Right. Scary. Because Jan, he obviously had, had put the fear of God into them at that point where they felt they had no choice. They had to go down there. Um, but she sensed that when she took that picture. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So again, as we've said, you know, despite the evidence of audio, video, um, at least two versions of the sketch, $200,000 in reward money and 10,000 tips, it's taken five years to get to this point. But there's of course a lot that we don't know about. A little bit more on Richard Allen. He relocated to Delphi in December of 2006 after leaving Mexico, Indiana. He purchased a house in Delphi, not far from where the bodies were found. But then again, Delphi is tiny. And he lived there with his wife. And as we've said, worked at the CVS, went out to a local bar, out to dinner. People knew who he was. Now... Here's the other thing that's interesting, Lewis. I'm curious about this. Over those five years, police released two different sketches. And when they released the second sketch in 2019, the sketch had shifted, looked a little different, was a little bit younger. And all police would say was when asked, okay, why does this sketch look different or what should we be seeing here? All they said was, quote, shifted in a new direction, that the investigation has shifted in a new investigation, in a new direction, and they put the age closer between 18 and 40. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, sketches are, are a weird thing. As you know, we've discussed before, I believe in sketches. Normally when they put a sketch out, there's your reason and there's a mindset and, and a philosophy behind it and, and something to back it up. Um, and that's why the, so many times they're so helpful. So I think the first sketch was really just based off the image no one to, to at that point to give you a one-on-one someone who actually put eyes on the suspect the second sketch may be indicative of somebody who saw an individual in the area not necessarily on the bridge but one that was suspicious enough uh to make the police feel this is a person we need to identify so th- that could be why there's a tweak in it so that may come visually from somebody the first one has to come from the photograph back to libby's phone because libby's phone really 
has held so much evidence for investigators. Not only the video, right? The right. photo of Abby as a proof of life, timestamp, but she was communicating with someone she thought was a young man. Okay. In 2017, the Indiana State Police and the FBI become aware of a social media profile. Obviously, they had, you know, gone through her phone. Who is she communicating with? And she had been communicating with someone on Snapchat and Instagram. And the username was Anthony underscore shots. And the images of the person that this account supposedly belonged to was a very good looking person. What police say was really going on was that this account was linked to a man named Kagan Klein. And police allege and have charged this man with catfishing young girls. So basically pretending to be this incredibly good-looking young man when he is an obese, older, hairy man. Certainly, I... I would give everything that there is no way that Libby believed that she was communicating with a man who looked like Kagan Klein. There's no way this little girl believed that. So this man is accused of developing relationships with these young women and getting them to then send in nude pictures of themselves or photos in a sexual position. Horrific what this man is accused of doing. Just disgusting. Yeah, and like you mentioned, there's obviously other victims. Uh, they filed catfishing charges. Um, but I was wondering if it'd be interesting if any of those other victims, if he asked to meet with them at locations, obscure locations like this. Um, yeah, because police say that he was communicating with Libby on the day and the day before she disappeared. And that based on these communications... Libby was going to meet him. No good could come of this. No, not at all. The affidavit, no. that affidavit just rings louder and louder. Oh, it's so, so upsetting. So, you know, there are some great news organizations that have done a lot of work in this in this very narrow part of the Delphi murders. So we're talking about Wish TV and the Murder Sheet podcast. So, you know, uh, they managed to get hold of some of the court records specifically tied to Kagan Klein and that she had no idea she was communicating with this man who looked nothing like the the younger version um, that was fake uh, on the social media. So Indiana State Police interview Klein Two years ago, this would have been on August 19th of 2020. And in the interview, Klein admits to having contact with Libby prior to the murder. He has not been charged with their murder. He's been charged with a lot of child pornography and other things, but not not this. He's an accused pedophile and just a disgusting human being. Right. But how can this not be connected to what happened to them? Well, we're going to get an answer to that, Anna. You have to ask that question. You know, law enforcement is knee deep into that right now because everybody's going to be demanding an answer to that like we are. That has to be answered. It just seems more than reasonable that they're connected. Um, if they're not, mm, no. right? 
Um, what? I mean, how could this be coincidence? I always say this. Right. There's no coincidence when it comes to crime, specifically oh. murder. So what are the chances that you now have an accused pedophile in the middle of Libby's world communicating with her, and then she's making arrangements to see this person, and the next thing we know, Libby and her best friend, Abby, are dead? How can this just be coincidence? Right. Um, so we'll see. So, Lewis, one of the things I want to ask you about is that police did a polygraph examination of Kagan Klein. And he was asked specifically, did he know the identity of who killed Abby and Libby, which is different from did you kill them? And he answered no to both questions. This is according to published reports. Um, but both answers were recorded as being deceptive. And so police want to know more. Now, you can't use any of this in court, but I know you feel very strongly about these polygraphs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I guess that was the point I was trying to get at earlier. Because he failed the polygraph on that question, um, there's possible chance, we'll get to the affidavit eventually, but he they may have ended up working him to point him toward the true suspect, some his other uh, co-suspect in this or others. Um, he, he may be cooperating to some degree to benefit his own sentencing. He's going to be a big player in this. There, there's some connection there. We're all feeling it. And there's something out of left field here. Uh, mm -mm. Um, I, you mentioned the media earlier, uh, their involvement in this. And I thought, found it really interesting. And that was the first time I've ever heard uh, a sheriff make a comment to this at a briefing like this. He actually thanked the media for covering this case so heavily for over the last five years. And he did that a couple of times, but he's very passionate about that because that's what caused a phone to ring. And sometimes it just takes luck. What is the type of case that gets to the top of the media pinnacle, right? And so many, so many other cases that are just as deserving, but this case for some reason resonated with the media, resonated with law enforcement. And here's a case where law enforcement is thanking the media for keeping it on the forefront, on the front burner, which kept those phones ringing. Um, I do believe that when there are cases like this one and the Gabby Petito case, and we've talked about this before, and it is never fair, either when it comes to justice or coverage of lots of people go missing, lots of people go murdered, and not all these cases get attention. I do believe when there are videos or very specific visual elements, like with Gabby, it was all her video blogs and everything. She was so open. Um, she and Brian were always on social media that there was so much of her available to tell a story and then to backtrack that in the Abby and Libby case, you have this video and this audio of a potential suspect, which means you have something more than than nothing in a lot of cases. A lot of cases, they're so cold that you don't have this. So when you're able to latch on to something so concrete that the more you share it, the more you share it, it might actually jog someone's memory. I, I think that that is part of it, but certainly not enough cases get all the attention that they should. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that can make all the difference in the world solving a case. So Mr. Klein, he has been charged with 30 counts of child pornography, child solicitation, and obstruction of justice. That to me is going to be the interesting charge. He has not been charged with Abby or Libby's murders. And also he has claimed that all the media attention 
um, that it's all a pack of lies and that all these things are being said about him that aren't true. He was actually going to do an interview with a podcast. And then at the last minute, he said, no, you're all using me. Yeah, sure he was. <laughs> he's just, I don't believe him for one second. He's, yeah. he's already his groundwork. Yeah. So anyway, his trial huh, is slated for January, the same time Richard Allen's pre-trial is starting. It's yeah. going to be a very, very busy time for prosecutors. Very interesting. Okay, one more name I want to discuss. This one kind of leads to a dead end, but I'm curious about it because, again, I do not believe in coincidence. So this may or may not be important. I have no idea, but I think we should just include it and we'll see how this case develops. The girls were found on a property belonging to a man named Ron Logan, who was a 77-year-old farmer. According to Fox 59, the FBI served a search warrant on his property. Okay, that makes sense for heaven's sakes. The girls were found on his property. But again, I mean, it could have, it's such a rural area. But the issue was that the FBI found that there were inconsistencies in his alibi, which is never a good thing when two dead young women are found on your property. You should know where you were and at what time. So that, that was an issue, that the inconsistencies in his alibi, plus his cell phone reportedly pinged near where the bodies were found on the night that they were murdered, but before they were found. Logical potential explanation is it's his property. It was half a mile away from they were last seen. Maybe he was out there looking for them. Maybe not. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, I, I've, I read that he, they were found 200 feet from his back door. So I, you know, you, you have to ask those questions. And look, the FBI serves a search warrant there. Of course, you have to serve a search warrant there. Many times, just to be clear, that's not indicative of anything if they serve a search warrant, because usually you could ask for consent. Did he say no? I don't know. But regardless if he says yes or no, just to CYA, cover yourself, you still get a search warrant. And that search warrant, that's going to be granted. Um, but uh, Mr. Logan has passed. Since. He has. He has passed away. He passed away last winter from complications from um, COVID. But also, here's something else that the FBI has reportedly said, according the Daily Mail is reporting this. I don't know what to make of this one. The Daily Mail is reporting that the FBI has said that the voice on that clip, the girls down the hill clip, that... It's not inconsistent with Ron Logan's voice. Mm, good find. What do you I, make? I saw that one. What wow. do you make of that? Well, does that mean there were two? Because I, I'm looking at that picture we discussed, we discussed earlier, Richard Allen. Um, and I'm thinking eh, it's not inconsistent with him. If they're matching it, possibly not inconsistent with Mr. Logan. Uh, two people there? I don't know. Is that possible? We don't know. Again, this is all we have on this. He was never charged in this case. No. There are some inconsistencies. We know that there can be inconsistencies and in saying and saying that the voice is, you know, not inconsistent. Again, that could be a lot of people, but I find that nugget very interesting. I do. But what, one of the things that screams the loudest to me about uh, Mr. Logan finding bodies on his property and the fact that he is now dead is the blame it on the dead guy defense. Mm. 
is going to be an easy scapegoat uh, for the defense. Oh, good point. That's right. That's right. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. So back to Richard Allen. Uh, As far as any criminal past, really all he has is traffic violations. Speeding tickets, not wearing a seatbelt. That's about it. Allen is currently being held in the White County Jail without bond. He's entered a plea of not guilty. Pre-trial hearing set for January 13th. The trial will be in March. And we're going to watch this one carefully because at the pre-trial is when the prosecution has to present its case and evidence against Richard Allen. Our next case is out of Pennsylvania, where a jealous man has been sentenced because of a murder-for-hire plot that left a Bucks County nurse and mother dead. 50-year-old Chong Dan has been convicted and sentenced to life in prison for planning the murder of 30-year-old Ebony Pack. Why Ebony? Because she was dating Chong's ex-girlfriend. He didn't like it, and he was jealous. How sick is that? Oh, extremely sick. Jealousy has no righteous place in this world. It's crazy. It's crazy how many homicides are linked to jealousy. Oh, my gosh. Jealousy yeah. and revenge. Because this yeah. was revenge. This was about getting back at his ex-girlfriend by killing her new love interest. Yeah. Yeah, control. You want to torture someone? Right. Take away who and what they love. Right. Prosecutors say that Chong Dan enlisted co-conspirators. 54-year-old Ricky Vance and 48-year-old Terrence Marsh to follow Ebony's car and then ultimately shoot her while she sat at a traffic light. I mean, this is this is shocking that this is how the murder happened. Sitting there at the light, car pulls up next to her, shoots, kills her. Right. They recovered evidence of at least 10 rounds fired. 10 shots. I mean, it was, it, the intent was massive. 10 rounds they fired at least. In public at an intersection? Unbelievable. So prior to her death, Ebony, well, she was 30 years old at her, at the time that she was murdered, mother of two and worked as a nurse. She reportedly was responsible for the care of patients who were suffering from COVID-19 because this was 2020. This was the height of the pandemic. So this was a hero, you know, working the front lines at a time when there were so many people who were ill. Ebony began dating Jasmine Stokes sometime in July of 2020, according to Jasmine. Now, here's what's interesting. Jasmine is Chong Dan's ex-girlfriend, and their relationship ended the same month, July 2020. Yeah. Boy, that hatred. It ended on such a bad note in his mind. She tried to move on. Right. But again, combining jealousy with the other one, that's a big motivator motive money. He was pissed off because in his mind, his ex, Miss Stokes, owed him money. And that was enough reason for him to go and kill a range through hiring a, a, a two other thugs, the murder of this poor Miss Pack. Right. Who was an incredible role model in her community. She was a nurse. She led a great life and she was always there for others and just just uh, uh, the type of person you'd want to be friends with and you want to associate with. Um, And he just couldn't take that. His ex was found somebody better than him and Mm -hmm. was happy. Right. Oh, yeah. And festering because this was festering. This was absolutely festering for months and it took time to plot and it was. 
Because I always say you always have a moment, even when you're plotting something, you have a moment to say, hold on a second. And I think he felt fairly certain that he was never going to be charged because technically he was never accused of pulling the trigger. Oh, he hired them. We all know how that goes, right? That's that's in your mind. That's you distance yourself enough. If you just pay to have it done. That is that what he's thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, They'll never know, get I, me. Yeah, you'll never get me. Look, I in my law enforcement career, I've had the opportunity to play the hitman a few times on these and also uh, uh, have other investigators do that role for me. So I know how difficult it is to get these things prosecuted. And one of the first things they have to do is establish a relationship with the person doing the hiring, um, because there's a lot of trust, fa- trust factor there when you bring a hitman in. In this case, he didn't have to do that. He already knew these individuals somehow. He had a history enough where you could have a conversation with them. And nobody of those three clowns decided to say, this is a bad idea, right? I'll do it. You'll pay me. I'll do it. Let's do this. Um, discussing how easily to some people that, that they can go over that threshold and make something like that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just like just a simple transaction. Yeah. So the issue about money that you were talking about, Jasmine said that she was quote, holding $19,000 that belonged to Chong Dan, that she had given 10,000 of it back to him, but that she had spent the other 9,000. And he wanted that 9000 So, I, frankly, even if she had given all the money back, you really think it would have stopped him? No. No, ma'am. This is all about power and control, just making sure he won. In his mind, he did whatever he needed to do so he can call himself victorious. Um, what, what what a clown. I, I'm, I'm sorry. This one pisses me off, too. But uh, $9,000 for that? Uh, yeah, you're right. If he, she would have paid him, he would have found another reason to get this done. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, she told police that he had been harassing and abusive toward her all the way up until Ebony's death in November. Um, You know, absolutely just would not give up. So Jasmine had a protective order against Chong Dan, which I think is important because he had so he couldn't go near her. But that protective order didn't apply to Ebony. Right, right. So that was his workaround. Um, sorry, he, he's going to find himself convicted. Oh, my gosh, it's just so horrible. So on November 28th of 2020, Ebony Pack is murdered. Prosecutors say that on the eve of the murder, cell phone records indicate that Chong Dan and co-conspirators Ricky Vance and Terrence Marsh were together prior to the killing. The men's cell phones were traced to a West Mount Airy residence where Chong often went to. According to surveillance video, Ebony's vehicle stopped at a red light on East Hancock Street around 9.56 p.m. on the evening of November 28th. While stopped at the light, another vehicle, a dark-colored Cadillac, came up, pulled up along her car, fired at least 10 rounds, and then that car took off. Ebony's in a Nissan sedan. She obviously dies, loses control of the car. It rolls out of the intersection, hits a light pole. Authorities arrive, transport her to the hospital. 
Ebony's dead. There's no way she survived. She was hit multiple times. Um, So Dan Vance and Marsh stopped talking, according to authorities, at the crucial time of the actual murder. But then they resume their conversations at 10.25 p.m. Remember, she's killed right before 10 10 p.m. So like a half hour later, they're chatting. Oh, my goodness. The murder investigation revealed that Ebony's vehicle was being followed for about 18 miles. It believe, They believed that she was actually on her way to see Jasmine, her girlfriend, when she was killed. It was later determined that that Cadillac belonged to Ricky Vance. At the time of the murder, police say that the Cadillac had counterfeit Delaware registration plates. You know, I always find that so fascinating. Oh, I'm going to put different tags on my car. They'll never figure it out. The car still looks essentially the same. I mean, come on, people. Yeah, they, we it, call that cold plating um, when they try to disguise their idea, identification of that car. And what that really does is make it stick out even more. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, of course, they figured out that, you know, phony plates. So police believe that Terrence is the actual gunman and that Ricky Vance was the driver and the owner of the car. So what's interesting here is that the Cadillac revealed evidence of gunshot residue. Again, everything consistent with the traffic surveillance video. There was a video clip that I saw of a Philadelphia news reporter chasing down Ricky Vance as he's coming out of uh, one of his hearings or something. He's handcuffed, being put in the back of the patrol car. But she's got a chance to talk to him for, you know, a few seconds, a few minutes. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And I always find it interesting. And she's asking him, it's like, no, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't my car. No, that wasn't gunshot residue. It's like, okay, buddy. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, wow, how can media get that close to him, number one? And, uh, and, but I was happy the officer there let him have that conversation because, as you know, they can ask any question they want. They don't have to read Miranda. Those are open statements on tape. I was with two other people. We were watching that video clip playing, and both of them commented on how believable he was. Really? Yes. And go, wow, is it really? You believe him? Well, he sounds really, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, he stuck to his story, right? Hmm. And heck, it's his car. I just want to comment on the gunshot residue that they located, law enforcement located on the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, yes, it's indicative that a shots were fired from that vehicle from the passenger side. But I've seen it before where that comes back to shots that were fired on a previous occasion, not necessarily that night. Oh. So everything is within context, but you still have to put those pieces together. On April 22nd of 2021, Ricky Vance was arrested on first-degree murder and additional charges. Now, shortly after his arrest, Terrence Marsh was allegedly driven to Philadelphia airport by his fiance, reportedly boarded a flight for Honduras where he would meet his old buddy from Philadelphia. Can you imagine Chong Dan? Both of them in Honduras. Yeah. But what's really interesting, only one of them returns from Honduras. We know Chong's alive, right? Yeah. What happened? Terrence, Terrence what happened to him? <laughs> yeah. Never He's came back. There. Yeah, who knows? But you know, Honduras is a very popular place for people to escape to when they want to leave the country. 
Um, they're, they're not very cooperative with the U.S. In, in getting suspects back here. Well, there are allegations that perhaps Terrence didn't make it alive because Chang Dan later returned to Philly and then he informed the fiance, Terrence's fiance, that, quote, Terrence went missing. And I have a feeling if Mr. Chong Dan says that to you, I would believe him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got street cred on that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. So then Chong gets arrested for first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder and other charges on December 3rd of 2021. Then on September of this year, Chong who's 50, and Ricky, who's 54, were both convicted of first-degree murder after a week-long trial. Dan's defense tried to claim that he had no part in the planning of this killing. He wasn't there, all that stuff. Of course, the jury just didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. And Ricky Vance was sentenced to life in prison for his role. Four days later, um, after Vance's sentencing, Chong was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Ebony Pack. And that Dan apparently showed no emotion as he went through his sentencing hearing. What were you expecting? For the man to change all of a sudden and blossom into an evolved human being? I don't think so. In the victim's impact statement, Ebony's mother, Rhonda Pack Terry, addressed him, the man who killed her daughter. She said, quote, you're a monster. You stalked my daughter. You planned her execution. You sit there remorseless. You took her... Bleep, bleep, bleep. And for what? Exactly. And for what? Because your ego was bruised. Yeah. Yeah. And as for Terrence, we don't know. If he's alive, I guess he'll be found. And if he's not, I don't know. I'd like to say that those words from mom would resonate with him every morning when he wakes up and when he goes to bed at night for the rest of his life. But chances are he just blew it off. Didn't mean a thing to him. That's his. That's him. I hope those prison bars mean something to him. I don't think he's going to like that. Yeah. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on our social media. With us here now is our producer, Will Updike. Hi, Will. Hey, hey Anna. How's it going? Good. Good to see you, Lewis. Uh, so this week we have a case of a costumed caper uh, getting caught in a bank robbery. So this case comes out of Lorraine, Ohio, where a 32-year-old bank robbery suspect was identified and arrested after allegedly committing the crime wearing a fake beard and sunglasses. Uh, this is a little bit of an homage to Halloween. I just got to point out uh, for our audio listeners, the picture of this guy, he's like at the he, he's at the teller, the, the security picture they release. And it is very clearly a costume beard. He's wearing like a camo beanie and sunglasses. So according to the Lorraine County uh, crime scene, crime scene identification unit, they said the robbery happened last week on Wednesday, October 26th at around 1.13 p.m. Uh, at the first federal savings bank on 42nd Street there in Lorraine. So the man was reportedly uh, armed. And wearing this large fake beard, these sunglasses, he had this hat on. Uh, He was later identified as Shannon Matheny uh, following an investigation. And the police were able to issue a warrant for arrest uh, for aggravated robbery in connection with it. Now, he was apparently able to steal some cash. The authorities don't know exactly how much money was stolen. But this actually all came together because numerous citizens 
were able to call law enforcement and help in the suspect's arrest, kind of like our first case where, you know, the power of the people can be really, really strong in some of these cases. So our suspect here was booked into the Lorain County Jail on Monday, October 31st. Uh, people had a lot to say about this one. Uh, he was booked, obviously, on Halloween. Not sure if he was wearing that same costume when they took him in. Uh, I, I don't know if they allowed him to do to do costumes there in the, the Lorain County Jail. But uh, well, if it's Halloween, maybe one never maybe. knows. Yeah, may, maybe, maybe. Uh, um, matching outfits. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we actually I, I just got to address. We got a lot of only in Ohio comments. And I'm not really sure if this is the Florida set, because we do tend to focus on Florida in here, kind of uh, getting their jabs in. But either way, we're going to go ahead and allow it. Uh, a lot of people, um, a, a lot of people had stuff to say about this costume. Freely said, that's just Rick Rubin at the bank. Leave the man alone. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Rick Rubin is a very famous producer. He has a huge beard um, and generally wears sunglasses. Looks like someone who could maybe rob a bank. Darth Z said, Grizzly Adams hit rock bottom again which i don't know what grizzly what like purpose grizzly adams uh like what he would do with money but uh it, I, doesn't I need money it. doesn't <laughs> no doesn't need money he lives off the land doesn't uh, need money so it wasn't him it wasn't grizzly adams christopher n said funky dumbledore lost some weight uh which <laughs> it, it is like a dumbledore-esque beard I, I could very much see that it's it's very costumey jacob g had my favorite comment uh, they said ZZ Top must be doing bad. Pray for them mm. to release more music. The suspect does very much look like uh, a, a member of the band. Maybe maybe they could even play um, in a tribute band once this sort of all blows over. Um, but that's going to do it for this week's comment section uh, in honor. I hope everybody had a safe Halloween. As always, you can leave those comments over on our YouTube community page. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And we're getting very, very close to our quest for 5 million subscribers. Uh, just to let everybody know, we will be featuring some of our subscribers on the channel. Um, we're still figuring out how we're going to have that work, but uh, go ahead and, and tell your friends, anybody who's a fan of true crime or of true crime rather uh, should go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Terrific. Thank you so much. Will. see you next week. Well, that's our program, our episode for this week. Lewis, it's always such a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find you? My entire social media footprint. You can find at getbitinvestigations.com. That simple and sweet. There you go. You can find me at Anna G News with one N. You can find all our podcast episodes wherever you get your podcasts, of course. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like to watch rather than listen. And, you know, as we always say, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a saying that I inherited, but uh, I, I live up to it, as we say every week here. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And don't do crime.